The World Bank was set up in 1944. In the aftermath of the Second World War, the institution was there to give loans to countries rebuilding after the conflict. The first loan went to France, but with stipulations about repayment that set a tone for future funds. In 1999, the BMJ ran a series of articles on the World Bank, authored by our current deputy editor, Cameron Abassi. The article set out the bank's move into funding global health and highlighted some criticisms about its processes. Now, a new series published on bmj.com looks at where the World Bank has come in the last 18 years, how much global health it's funding now, and explaining some of its new models of finance. The series is authored by Devi Shrida and her team from the University of Edinburgh, and the articles will cover the World Bank's turn to universal health coverage, how the bank's trust funds are being used to fund specific projects, and why it's hard to know what those are. Its new global financing facility, that has grants and loans supplied together, and finally, how they're creating a market out of pandemic insurance. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor at the BMJ, and in this second interview, I talked to Marley Teichner, a PhD candidate at the University of Edinburgh, about why the bank has become a champion of universal health coverage. Marley, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's uh, wonderful to be talking with you today. Now, you've written an article, Universal Health Coverage, Health System Strengthening and the World Bank. Um, lots in there. Mm-hmm. What is actual universal health coverage as you know the World Bank sees it? So, uh, the universal health coverage, uh, it's a, an organizing principle, right? So, it's actually quite a vague term. Um, So it's to be used as sort of advocating for more equitable uh, and accessible healthcare. So um, it's... uh, I was going to say, from the UK point of view, we see this as being, you know, it's a government provided thing paid for through taxation, but obviously that's not the case in lots of other places. So is there a sort of technical way of thinking about it, or is it still just very uh, aspirational? Well, it was actually incorporated into the Sustainable Development Goals, Um, and so that is where we can find more precise language for defining it. Um, It's still rather vague. Um, And so within the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, it includes financial risk protection, access to quality essential healthcare services, and access to safe, effective, quality, and affordable essential medicines and vaccines for all. So that's vaccination, Mm -hmm. not having massive out-of-pocket expenses, so Mm -hmm. that if you have to have healthcare, you don't bankrupt yourself. what does the, the, the what does the services mean in this context? Because that seems to be the bit where that could be so dependent on the situation. It is, um, and 
So the thing about universal health coverage that's really interesting in this current moment, and the reason people are saying it's quite different from the primary health care movement that started in the 1970s in mm-hmm. global health, is that they are trying really hard to quantifiably measure it. Like, how do you measure progress in universal health coverage? And so that, that target, um, the universal health target within uh, the Sustainable Development Goals is actually broken into two different indicators. And one is, as you mentioned, this concept of not going bankrupt, right? And so the financial risk protection part of it is about, um, and they've just actually refined this indicator about a week ago. A whole bunch of statisticians gathered in New York to to argue about all of these um, indicators. And to give you a taste, there are 230 indicators in the Sustainable Development Goals as a whole. And so universal health coverage is two of those indicators. And one is how do you define financial risk protection? Um, And they have argued that it's actually about the proportion of how much you pay um, versus your household income, right? And so that's the way that they're trying to measure whether or not this is a large amount that you're paying. Because originally that indicator was actually, do you have access to health insurance, which we know actually doesn't necessarily protect you from going bankrupt. Um, And so that's that first part, which is already kind of difficult to um, measure. And then the second indicator is actually this question of quality health care service, which basically right now has sort of 11 different kinds of quantifiable um, metrics in there to try to distinguish what that indicator is and obviously depends on which country you're in and what kinds of um, health problems there are within that context. And so it actually does, um, it is quite tricky in trying to track that second question. Mm. And this is where the vagueness comes in, is what defines, how do you measure quantifiably quality health care? But as you say, this seems to be something that's being worked on you know is there an idea that this will come down to a definition that will be kind of measurable um against which sort of the the sdgs will then be ticked off Mm -hmm. exactly okay um i mean universal healthcare seems like morally the right thing to do but um it's actually written into the statutes of the, the bank that that can't be a decision-making thing. So from the point of view of the World Bank, why should they care about universal um, health coverage? What is it sort of economically that's going on there? Right, so hist- historically there's been sort of a shift in the World Bank getting m- uh, more and more involved in, in international health development. And um, it sort of began in the 1970s and in the 1980s they actually did fund quite a bit of primary health care service um, in the sort of earlier version of the health for all call in um, international health development. Um, and then... In uh, in the 1986, they published this document um, in which they were linking very carefully the question of economic development to um, health. And there's been sort of, um, uh, there have 
been historically these moves of tying health to uh, general econ economic development um, over the course of the 20th century and into the 21st. Um, but it was really in 1993 in, with their document Investing in Health that they created these very specific metrics for um, distinguishing a loss from illness, right, which is what the disability-adjusted life year is, the, which gets shorthanded into the DALI. Mm -hmm. So every disability-adjusted life year is one year lost. That's what that DALI means. Um, and so they were tying that to sort of um, if you were living in an economically uh, deficient position, then it was tied also to, to your health. What was going on in the World Bank to, in 1993 to make that change? You know, what was, do you know how universal health care became a thing that they cared about? I'm thinking in terms of, you know, for the WHO, you had Haftar Mala who cared about um, primary care and really pushed that up the agenda. Um, was there an equivalent sort of person uh, in the World Bank? Uh, I mean, so the first the first president to really invest in health was Robert McNamara, who similarly was very, very interested in metrics, actually. Um, and so that was in the 1970s um, when he started investing in health. Um, and that's the first time that the World Bank really started doing health care um, issues, dealing with health care issues in general. Um, and so there have been sort of a cycle of people who were more interested in health and then less interested um, and more and less. And um, obviously Jim Kim, the current president of the World Bank, is a physician and a medical anthropologist. And so his um, he's sort of really strongly reaffirming the World Bank's interest in tying health to economic issues in general. And so it's been this sort of long process of the World Bank getting more and more interested in tying those two ideas together, um, and it comes in and out of fashion. Um, and so right now, um, Jim Kim, who happens to be a medical anthropologist, right, then is bringing back in this question of social determinants of health, which um, universal health coverage is really um, interested in dealing with. Mm. Jim Kim's obviously, as you say, really cares about it. Uh, but the World Bank is made up of, you know, a number of sort of donor nations who sit on boards and things. Uh, do you know, is there a feeling that that's kind of a universally held opinion within... Um, within the bank, or, or is this kind of him really leading on it? It's not a universal thing within the bank. Um, no, there's actually quite a bit of contention that he is pulling the World Bank further into uh, international health development and that this is problematic, um, particularly because of the mandates between the World Bank and the World Health Organization, for example. Um, sort of trying to make sure they carve out space for each other and don't get into each other's business. Um, but I think there's been a little bit of, one of the ways they've addressed that is by having sort of joint um, documents and joint um, attacks of this problem. But yes, I, I don't think, I think this is very much Jim Kim's baby that he's sort of promoting. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily what the World Bank or the donor 
countries um, who are investing, um, donating money to the World Bank, necessarily want their investments to be going to the question mm. of universal health coverage. Which kind of brings us around to what's happening in the US. And you have literally just come to Edinburgh from here, so uh, it must feel quite acute for you. Um, you know, given so many people have signed up to this, the US has signed up to the SDG and, and universal health care, um, and yet, uh, you know, things are going on there to defund um, attempts at universal health care. I'm just wondering about the sort of tensions that are going on politically amongst this and, and how realistic this actually is as a, as a goal. Yes, yeah, so the, the question about universal health coverage, at its heart, it is about um, two, it's about two, it's, it holds within its two very fundamental ideas. One, that health is a basic human right, and two, that nation states must enforce that basic human right, right? So nation states have to promote universal health coverage themselves. And we're obviously seeing in the US that those two ideas are being fundamentally undermined in the current sort of desire to replace the Affordable Care Act um, with, you know, a monster of an act, <laughs> whatever it is, um, because of the fundamental idea that the nation state's not supposed to be enforcing this basic human right. Um, and so, the yeah, there, there is this enormous um, gulf right now in between um, what the sort of sustainable development goals are aiming to do and what one of the main funders of the World Bank is currently doing within its own country um, in undermining um, universal health coverage within uh, its own borders. Do you think that's undermining universal health coverage elsewhere? You know, why would one country who's developing and, and thinks this is too expensive to do, why should I do this if the US isn't? It's a really good question. Um, I'm slightly optimistic that it, it won't completely destroy um, the goal uh, of universal health coverage. But, right, so Trump's um, uh, proposed budget cuts 31% of its funding to like the State Department and the US uh, Agency for International Development. So. A 17 billion cut in the money it gives for foreign aid is extremely problematic. Um, and I mean, yes, I mean, part of why the primary health care movement died was because of the rise of neoliberal economic practices under Reagan in 1980. So there is a little bit of terror about what this. Uh, what the future of this movement actually looks like in the current era. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you, you know, you've talked about the, the importance of this. Um, do you think the World Bank, given that it is a financial institution, talking to the people who at the end of the day have the strings to do this, the finance ministers and countries, um, that it might be more successful in, in getting this done than uh, some other global agencies have been in the past? Yes, I do actually think that the World Bank has a better chance of convincing ministers of finance to invest in universal health coverage. I think that they're using a language of economic development and economic prosperity and tying it very explicitly to health in these sort of 
quantifiably metric, right, quantifiably measurable ways. And I think that language is very effective, actually, in um, getting people to sign on to, the, to universal health coverage and promoting it within their countries. You've been listening to Marley Teichner talk about why the World Bank became a champion of universal health coverage. The article to accompany this interview, plus all of the others in the series, and all of the podcast interviews, are now available on bmj.com. If you've enjoyed this, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're available in most places now. There you'll also find over 200 previous episodes, all available for free. Thanks for listening.